Hey guys, welcome back to another fantastic episode of UAP Studies. I say fantastic every time, and I mean it every single time, right? Uh, we have really amazing guests that are coming on this year, especially we're hitting the ground running because uh, this month, I actually have my calendar book here, it's completely filled and uh, it keeps filling up and I keep having to push people into almost March now, which is awesome. But it means that there's a lot of momentum going. And uh, Gary Turner, of course, is joining us today. He is our guest. Now, if you're listening, you need to see this video later on, either on Spotify or YouTube, because he has a hell of a mustache. Okay. I'm je I'm jealous of your mustache, Gary. It's just, it's, it's epic. You know what I mean? Like, uh, do you oh, put, you. do you put wax in it? Uh, yeah, a little bit of beeswax. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that spread of his uh, sandalwood smell. Oh, like under your nose the whole day. It's fantastic. Uh, yeah, so Gary is uh, actually a very creative person. He's been involved in, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, Gary, but you've been involved in production, movies, directing. Uh, you write, you've done comic books, um, you've done uh, fantasy novels uh, for young adults. You're, you're a very active person. But recently, something shifted and you wrote a book which is completely out of your genre or at least what you were known for uh, known for before uh and you wrote a book about uh, ufo science and the secret uh, you called it um secret new physics vehicles and uaps when i was first approached um about you being a guest on the show i was like okay well i'll check out what he wrote <clears throat> And then what I saw when you're talking about the the physics of the crafts, like, whoa, okay, that's above my pay grade. I don't even understand that crap. So I'm hopefully you could shed some light on this for me because I'm always fascinated about how these things could or potentially are based on the research that you've done. And I still can't grasp exactly how it works, the mechanics. So if you do, uh, just give me some enlightenment and the, the listeners as well, because it's one aspect that I don't think I've covered enough is exactly how the crafts work. You know, we keep hearing about anti-gravity. Okay, but how do we achieve that? How do we even get to that point? So uh, you'd be the perfect person to talk about that because your book surprised yeah, me. I, yeah. I do more of the layman's interpretations. So. I love it. You're the right audience uh, for, for that, my friend, the right host too, because for me, the better, uh, the simpler, the better for, for sure. But um, first of all, let's get into how you got into UFOs to begin with, because sometimes some people don't see it coming, but they need to know what your backstory is before you wrote the book. So yeah, I'm I'm jumping over from fantasy into the fantastic. In 2017, I started writing and authoring some uh, sword and sorcery adventure novels after coming off of doing uh, television and some graphic novels. And uh, after publishing several novels in that, um, 2017, many people know, was kind of a pivotal point when newspaper came out. A little thing called uh, New York Times actually made it official, uh, the, 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 the start in the shift. And I was, at that point, I had already in my life, after reading some other books on the subject, had dismissed the whole topic that UFOs were just too fantastical probably not worth my time to study. But when that article came out, uh, I just was gobsmacked and I couldn't help but start looking back into it. And as the years progressed, while I continued to write other fantasy novels, I came upon the whole subject and it drew me back into my original collegiate fascination with physics. 
So I got my degree in graphic design uh, from the University of Cincinnati. But while I was there as an purely as an elective, I was enrolling in physics classes. And I was like, oh, but there's no money in this. So I need to focus on. And that's sad how money, money diverts us, right? Yeah. But the more I learned, the more I studied, the more I got sucked in with the physics issue. I began discovering several different science figures that had a strong handle on the situation. And with all the just intense details that can get thrown out of you, or I'm sure some of your viewers have watched interviews with uh, figures like Jack Sarfati and Salvatore Paez, the heady information that is thrown at you so quickly, it it just can't quite grasp in a real quick, you know, one hour. You can't digest that. So the more and more I I was just getting engulfed in it, the more I realized, you know, someone needs to sit down and create a compilation of all these different advanced physics theories and then just make it understandable for everyday viewers. People should come to understand that what we've been told is impossible really isn't. Hmm. Just like, you know, in in the old days when they said that, you know, if God intended man to fly, he would have given him wings. No one used to think that you could fly in the air, but science proved otherwise eventually. Yeah, and that that's the thing that amazes us because our concept of flight is really based off of birds. And I think the first concepts were based off of a bicycle. I mean, our thinking needs to change. That's the biggest problem with our species is that once we do something like the sliced bread, bread doesn't change, just we sliced it. And it's like, no, if it's not, if it's not broken, don't fix it. But the physics that these things have defy what we understand to be logical. You know, like we, we try to apply logic to it when, um, was it C. Arthur Clarke that mentioned something to the effect of like any technology so far advanced is indistinguishable from magic? And it's true. Yes, like that's it, the third law from Isaac Asimov. Yeah, I love Isaac Asimov. I'm just actually getting back into him now with uh, the robot series. Um, but it's um, it's amazing. Like how we, we, we are fixated on the way that we are. I even mentioned it on Twitter. Um would we have had disclosure at this point if we lived under different societal um, philosophies? So if we if we lived a, a different way, would we have full disclosure at this point? But well, I think of course, if you look at other countries like China or Russia, where it's more you know authoritarian, right? They're not discussing the topic like we are. Not anytime soon. No. Yeah. Yeah. But even like to tell the truth, like Canada. Canada and the United States since 1947 have been tied to the hip on this issue. Canada, we have six official coins of uh, UFO events oh. that took place in Canada. So our government admits it and even prints it on our mints. Uh, the problem is, is that they're not talking about their, uh, you know, the coalition that they have with the states. The fact that we have NORAD in Canada means that the states... <laughs> You know, even with the UFOs up North Canada, it's the states that got there first. It's the states that if there's any crash retrievals would be in charge of that. Cooperation with the five eyes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But Canada's hands off. Like, it seems like they're not 
they're not involved in, in the research aspect of it. And at the same time, if you look at an even more liberal society than ours, France, for example, right, they're quite open to discussing the whole thing and have been for decades. That's true. Yeah. I think in France, it's a different mentality. It's like, yeah, it's there, it's there. Like, you know, that's the attitude that they have. Like Johnny Depp says he loves walking down in France because people are like, oh, it's Johnny Depp, but they don't care. They just continue down the way. Like, it's not a big, it's not a big deal. But it's true. I think that um, the way that the world is going, I think we're also very divided amongst countries, countries within, you know, there's factions within countries and political parties. And it's hard to get oh. some, something that's fundamentally true to come out when all the countries are contributing to the lie or at least to the omission of it. I'd like part of what I'm attempting to do is to push back against that uh, stigma that has been engendered in our society for decades. And the real core basis of that stigma is these things are impossible. Dismiss it. Nothing to see here. Go right. away. The more people can grasp the reality of the physics in a simple, understandable way, the more minds are going to open up like we've been misled. This is not actually impossible. This is something that is highly likely. It's just that no one has taken the time to explain it. Right. And in your opinion, Gary, do you think that we have, would have gotten to where we are now if these weren't dropped or gifted to us to begin with? Like, how far down the line would we have come up to this on our own? Ooh, um, if I had to guess, I'd probably say we were centuries away. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so maybe we could delve a bit into the book and into the physics of these things. Uh, and of, of course, your research and, and how you put this all together. The book has beautiful um, uh, diagrams or, or pictures of how this stuff works, especially the stuff Bob Lazar was talking about with the half basketball dome and, and all that jazz. To me, it's still like cross-eyed whenever I look at it because I don't understand this stuff, but you explained it very well. I just can't do it justice re-explaining what I read. So I'll give you the mic, my man. Just uh, give us a crash course on this stuff. Yeah. So um, I basically feature several different crafts and present their theories in the book. It's not a big, huge, thick book. It's, it's actually kind of relatively easy to pick up and get through. But I do it by... Uh, taking those heady concepts, making them more understandable on a layman's term, and then through the illustrations, make it more understandable. So of the, I have like two sets of craft that we discuss. Uh, one would be the NHI version, and the other would be um, the majority of the rest are the man-made versions. So, and of course, the man-made versions have a lot more theories built into it. And the NHI version that I do feature is the famous one by Bob Lazar, the sport model. So through the illustrations, you can pick up this book and just focus on one chapter and learn about one craft. And the physics spells it out. And it goes into detail for those that want to delve deep, or you can just kind of get the overall understanding. Um, so we could start with the sport model, if you like. Absolutely. I love the sports model. Yeah, that's a great place to start. 
So that one's fascinating on so many different levels because it would be a true NHI vehicle. So it has all the advancements that we are not able to duplicate. Um, it And the challenge, the, there's several challenging factors in it, but uh, the biggest hurdle that our science is unable to get over is the material sciences. So what that means is, uh, let's say you were to bring a steel bar back to Egyptian times and present it to a pharaoh. They would be mystified at how incredibly strong this metal is because all they have worked with is iron, right. which is blue. And they wouldn't have the understanding and technology. They could sit and look at it all day and they wouldn't know how to craft a steel bar. Same thing with these vehicles. They Their, their substructure is built from what we now understand to be a metamaterial. Now, when Bob Lazar first came out in 1989 as a whistleblower, no one knew what a metamaterial was until 1999. Ten years so, later, yeah. Yeah. And metamaterials are now on the cutting edge of material science technology where we are using, it is basically the structure of how substances are put together and and how those atoms and, and molecules are interstitched into a pattern that can modify frequencies that pass through them. So they can be sound frequencies, they can be light frequencies, but the... the and, and Gary, just, just for clarification on my end, um, do you need nuclear fusion at that point? Like, would you need like the power of the sun to, to fuse these elements together? Or is this something that if you have enough technology, you could possibly fuse them your, together yourself? Well, that's definitely, as, as for crafting the material, that's well beyond us. Okay. Because these are structured on an atomic scale. You could imagine like 3D printing material, right. but that's such a raw you know, cumbersome way of doing it. Whatever these craft are, they're actually printed almost molecule by, or I mean, atom by atom. Crazy. Now what powers them, the fascinating part is, like you mentioned before, the, I'll, I'll separate again, the NHI vehicles don't require a huge amount of power, like the power of a star while the man-made ones border on that. Okay. So the reason, uh, and Dr. Jack Sarfati would back me up on this, the reason the NHI vehicles don't require a huge amount of power is because the metamaterial is able to slow down the speed of light. Mm. So as light passes through an object, and this is covered in the Jack Sarfati chapter, uh, we know from refraction that if you uh, dip a pencil into a glass of water, you will see that pencil kind of like curve weirdly, right. you know, it'll skew off on an angle and that's refraction. And what causes refraction is the speed of light is slowing down in that substance. 
So if you look at Einstein's equation on the curvature of space-time, the determining factor is the speed of light. It is the ground that, that everything has to, that all those equations have to play off of. But understanding that we see it as a speed that is immutable, except for refraction and things like that, if you could dial down that speed, the amount of power required to bend the curvature of space-time suddenly drops. More, more efficient. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. basically, if you have a craft made of metamaterial where the exterior hull is slowing down the speed of light, then the amount of power required to bend the curvature of space-time around it is greatly diminished. So when it comes down to the sports model again with... Um... Uh, Bob Lazar. I mean, it was it was relatively sizable. Uh, yeah. What, what would you call it? I, I don't want to say a reactor, but it's almost acting like a reactor. Um, uh, but it was amplifier. the size of half of a basketball. Right. <laughs> and it flew that ship, which is what, 50 feet in diameter or something? Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so it's almost like the microchip. Like, when it first started NASA, they had, like, whole rooms – and now they could all do that work in like one microchip. And it's almost, it's like that with the power of these crafts. But I, I, I still don't understand when they're saying, hey, this would break down, uh, you know, particles that we weren't even aware of in 1989, which is, you know, uh, was it? Element 115? Yes, yes. Thank you, sir. Um, yes. we, we didn't have that in 1989. People are like, you know, smoking weed on their couch going, this guy's higher than me, right? Uh, but that's, that's the case. And now we understand that, yeah, they actually, that particle would have some sort of effect on it. Um, how, what could you tell us about that? Like, how, how would that work? So element 115 is high up on the periodic, uh, chart. And as far as we know, it is not naturally occurring, at least in our solar system. Right. It has to be manufactured. And this is, yeah. and this substance not only works as a fuel source for the vehicle, but is also responsible for um, altering the curvature of space-time around it. Okay. So as Bob Lazar explains, um, in his point of view, or from what he understood, there are two forms of gravity. There's the kind that we're all familiar with, which he calls gravity B, which is basically you mash a bunch of matter together and it, because of all that mass, it causes the curvature of space-time or gravity. And then he says the what we come to understand as the strong nuclear force, which is the force that holds uh, quarks together as well as uh, protons and neutrons in the nucleus of an atom, that is the strong nuclear force. That is another form of gravity. And if you really think about it, it's kind of doing the same thing. It's pulling these elements that would normally repel themselves. So you put two protons close to each other, they want to go the opposite direction. Right. But with the strong nuclear force, it overcomes that and squeezes it together into a nucleus. Now, he was to understand that as you go up the periodic chart of elements, when you get to the high, high end of those, you know, radioactive elements, many of that, when you reach 115, the amount, uh, the strong force actually begins to expand its 
influence outside of uh, the influence of the atom itself. Mm. And as it expands out, it actually reverses its phase so that instead of pulling in, it begins to repel outwards. And so if you can create a purified version of element 115 and uh, which they basically machine down into these little triangular ingots, the cascading effect of all of these atoms begin to rebound off of each other and flow downwards towards the tip of these little triangular elements, which can then be like any form of electromagnetic energy. Gravity waves are something that can be redirected through a waveguide. So this waveguide then siphons off through the engine and is redistributed and amplified through gravity amplifiers. Just like when uh, your substation for your electric power company is too far away, midway between you and them, they have an amplifying station that boosts the electricity and then feeds right. it on to you. Right. And do you think that um, like the way these crafts are designed on the inside, now it wasn't just Bob Lazar, but abductees have mentioned this as well when they're aboard the craft, that everything from the floor to the benches to the table, everything's melded into as if it's smooth, as if it was 3d printed. Do you right. think that, do you think that has a huge effect on the, like how the craft stays together, that it's important that there's no seams? I don't think it's as important about the seams, but it speaks a lot to how energy is distributed. Um, so there are no wires. Right. Or cables anywhere inside of the sport model. And yet you have inside of this reactor, it is an antimatter reactor, which creates huge sums of energy just from, you know, running one proton into one, uh, <laughs> sorry, one electron into one positron will produce an enormous amount of power. And then I'm still a bit mystified where that power goes. Somehow it is siphoned from that reactor and fed into the craft itself. Um, is the craft one giant battery right. that just holds all this energy and redistributes it? Yeah, because, uh, I mean, the sound, some people always say there's a, a either a flute sound or humming that comes yeah. from these crafts. And I always thought, well, that has to do with something that's doing around it. If it's not affecting the air, even the kids in Zimbabwe. We're mentioning that the craft was making this weird flute sound. Like like a, a power generator that suddenly gets, you know, if, if you're standing near an amplifier and you turn on the, the amplifier and the speakers come on, you hear that. Yeah. And then the cracking, like people would hear that as well, which I always thought has to do with whatever's powering these, these crafts. From um, what I understand, though, that sound really is only emitted when it is close to the surface. Once it's up and away from other objects. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So it's only really closer to the ground that you would hear that. Obviously, yeah, I haven't heard of any cases where somebody hears something from a Yeah, distance. if they're just flying overhead, they're silent. Oh, interesting. Okay, so that's that's well worth noting, guys. Um, and even Bob has, has said that as well. Right. Um, 
I mean, there's been a lot of debate about these things being able to be flown telepathically because the controls aren't evident, and they think it's tele telepathy. Now, the the sort of the news behind the scenes is that um, the U.S. government clued in that it requires twins, that it's twin connections that make these things fly. That it's not anybody and everybody who can fly them at take a specific set of you know of twins, which makes sense because twins. I'm a twin and. My brother and I were, you know, we, we can look at each other and almost it's like telepathy. I know what he's thinking. He knows what I'm thinking. If he was a the same, way, same yeah, wavelength. Exactly. And it could be years that I don't see him, you know, uh, not that that's happened, but I'll be months. I don't see him and I see him again. And if he was a serial killer, I would know, you know what I mean? Like it's, that, <laughs> like it's that. but it seems to be uh, even with abductees, uh, the amount of twins that are abductees is insane. So there's definitely an interest between the connection of the twins. I don't know if it's the basal ganglia like uh, Gary Nolan tends to think it is that uh, is maybe more active amongst twins. They had no choice but to form that from the womb. Uh, but it's interesting. I think that's a new piece of, of data that I'm I'm trying to lock down as much as possible because that'd be cool. I'm fascinated by that as well. If, if any of the viewers out there happen to have some of his brain scans that actually differentiates the, the difference between a a everyday basal ganglia versus uh, enhanced versions. I would love to see those images. Yeah, and he's, I think he's even got um, scans and stuff like that. I think he might've shown one uh, during our, our interview. Maybe not. I know my memory's bad. My basal ganglia is not working the way it used to. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting because you think, okay, well, these crafts operate at a consciousness level. Let's say they do. I don't know if they do, but let's say they do. Um, your consciousness would extend to the craft itself. Like the minute that you connect with it, you become the craft. That's why they maneuver the way that they are because it's like your consciousness being everywhere. You could see all around you. So you could approach something really fast and drop down, shoot up because you're moving at the speed of thought. So maybe that's why we're not getting as many air collisions as we're getting. Crashes do occur. So is it a, you know, a lack of connection between the two pilots? Is it you know, there's there's multitudes, but do you have like a theory as to why these things tend to crash? Uh, yeah, that's actually discussed in one section of the book. Uh, it's a very common question, and it was one that I also was like, this doesn't make sense. You know, if these are advanced technologies from other societies that are so far ahead of us, why the heck are they all ditch diving as soon as they reach Earth? <laughs> They're made by Ford. <laughs> <laughs> so it has been... Uh, put forward by a few intelligence people that if they were forbidden from sharing technology with another government or country, accidentally crashing one of your weapons or vehicles into that society, oops, sorry, they somehow got that. Right. And they seem to keep accidentally crashing over and over. <laughs> I don't think it's as much an accident. Well, it, that's the part that's crazy. You hear, um, you know, the the Varginia case with uh, James Fox, and that sounds like it was an accident because the two entities that survived the crash went running into the city, and then there was a what people said was like a search party. It was a a flying craft that was doing like lines like this across the city, looking for those two lost entities. And on that case, on that case, uh, the understanding is they were already in trouble on the way down. They were already smoking and in trouble. Right. So, but do you think that's like being fired upon? Because 
The, if you're a proponent of Stephen Greer, then you would probably say, oh, someone must have shot them down. Right. Because recently somebody's, uh, you know, they were mentioning that we we are, we have the capabilities of shooting them down, some sort of EMP shocked. I don't know what it is. Um, I have heard of uh, some technology along those lines. I understand the Russians also uh, have shown off some technology that could, you know, like fry metal. Right. That's scary. That's that was scary. presented to uh, George Knapp during his uh, time over there. Yeah, they even have a, what is it, a rocket that goes something like 23 times the speed of sound, which I'm mm -hmm. like, why do you Hypersonics. Need, yeah, like you need to kill somebody yesterday. Like that's crazy fast, right? <laughs> like we get it. We get it. You're first of the line. But this is the part that, you know, I'm worried about is if we are shooting on these things, let's say hypothetically we are, or somebody made the decision, shoot them down. They're not speaking on behalf of all humanity. And because we don't have all the pieces, it's it's concerning. Like, why are they making right, that call? Right. right? Why like, are they making that action that exactly, represents us all? Not voted. We, it wasn't voted in. It's somebody making those decisions. And what if they start a war? Or even worse, like they bring even more trouble upon it because of whatever so, situation. If That's that is the case, they're definitely not putting our best foot forward. No. No, I agree with you there. Conversely, I understand there have been some vehicles that rather than even crashed, they were simply set down and then the occupants left. Like a gift. Yeah. And you got to think their technology has got to be reversed. or we, we should be able to reverse engineer it because otherwise, why would they leave it behind? It's like it'd be cruel to leave some technology behind that the people can never have the resources to rebuild. That just makes no sense. But do you think that's aiding us? Like, do you think that they're trying to push us towards getting off planet? Like what would be the purpose? Uh, uh, you know, just your opinion here. Okay. Yeah. Pure conjecture. Imagine uh, you've got this primitive society that leaped ahead on their own and finally figured out how to split the atom. And now they're setting off nuclear warheads, even though as a society, they haven't evolved enough in order to <sighs> interact with other societies. And so you need them to reach a certain point before they can engage with their, you know, interstellar neighbors. Right. So before they kill themselves. So maybe that's what's going on. That's a possibility that they're trying to help us, but we have to achieve those understandings on our own. And that makes sense. But the thing is, it would be such a long endeavor on their part. I mean, the commitment is unbelievable on their end because the every day they're active, right? Uh, and Well, if you follow the works of Jacques Vallée, which I know you do, you know that- Who doesn't? <laughs> There has been interactions throughout the, the centuries where they've been trying to help push us along to the next step forward. And, you know, even when it comes down to abductees, it is specific people that they take that share the same characteristics. There is no psychopaths or sociopaths amongst abductees. Never has been. And it's amazing. The people they go after usually are really, really caring for animals, sympathetic, uh, empathic. They are very creative, want to know answers, open-minded. Those are the people that get taken. 
Now, there are some that don't fit those descriptions that are taken. Unfortunately, they just happen to be with the person that's normally taken. And unfortunately, they're taken with, right? So that sucks. Or there's some crazy lumberjack that comes running out of a pickup truck and charges a UFO. Yeah. Hey, guys, take a picture. Look at me. <laughs> Don't really think about how stupid his friends felt, you know, after they, they took off. And they're like, you know, because obviously they told him to get back inside the truck. But, you know. Nobody's going to believe us that Travis has got zapped by UFO. Like, that's crazy. 1975 to boot. But yeah, 1970s, it was a huge, huge thing. There's a lot of people coming out of the woodworks now uh, talk about their abductions. Like uh, uh, Terry Lovelace, his abduction was 1977. Um, he said right after that, that summer, that, or like a month later, Close Encounters came out. He could never watch the movie because he was traumatized. His experience had just happened. Um, there's another uh, guest coming on the, the podcast that she had an amazing freaking sighting in Utah or experience in Utah. And uh, that was 1978. So people are starting to come forward. Mm -hmm. People have never spoken before about seeing these crafts. The only thing that I've noticed with these abductees is that even though the intention wasn't to harm them on the ship, the ship ended up causing them harm by radio radiation, right? They didn't mean there, to. Yeah, there has been instances where, for instance, the Travis Walton case. I wonder with the Travis Walton case if um, so. These vehicles, um, part of uh, the nature of warping space time, alter something called the Doppler shifts. Okay. So uh, for those that watch their weather, there you have Doppler weather radar that sits there and scans and tells them, you know, is the cloud moving this way? Is the cloud moving that way? And so on. But a Doppler shift <clears throat> we're most familiar with is uh, when it comes to trains. So if you're ever around a train and you hear it coming towards you, you know it sounds one way. And then as it passes you, the pitch changes and it drops down, Right. So that's the wavelength of the sound as it as it comes towards you, that wavelength tightens up and becomes a higher pitch. But when it's going away, that wavelength stretches out and that's where you get that lower pitch. Mm. The fascinating thing about uh, altering the curvature of space-time, bending gravity around your craft, is it actually does the reverse of that. So we're so accustomed to like uh, when astrophysicists look into space, they know that the universe is expanding because every star they look at is redshifted. Right. That means that that star is moving away and the light coming from that star shifts into the red spectrum as it moves away. If that star was coming towards us, it would be shifting towards the blue end of the spectrum. So UFOs do the reverse. When you alter the curvature of space-time around a substance, as light passes through it, it actually has to um, alter its wavelength to try and uh, make that, that, that distance in the same amount. Uh, would, it, not, would it bend? Like, does light bend around that sort of heavy oh yeah so that, that is one of the factors is they can modify and modulate what frequencies around the craft so that they can be visually invisible they can modify it so that they're invisible on just about any 
level of the spectrum. So you'll notice like recent uh, with the jellyfish video that came out uh, right, from right. Jeremy Corbell, that was video that was done in the infrared spectrum where it's looking at heat signatures, but, and it was shot at nighttime. Several people, several of the soldiers on base went outside to try and find it using night scope vision and they couldn't see it. It's alarming. Yeah. So because that, particular object is able to modify its signature so it wasn't visible in the visual range or in the ultraviolet range but it was still visible in infrared no it's concerning is you can't see it you can't hear it because they operate outside those boundaries but people go missing all the time and i'm not saying it's them but the possibility that at least one or two of them are related to that is is huge because if you can't see it you can't hear it you can't defend against it and uh, like I said, people go missing all the time. And I just wonder, like, man, like, just, oh, they just vanished out of thin air. Okay, then something would have to have been in the air to vanish them. So, yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't know what to make of that video. Um, I just want one clear picture with Good luck. color in it. You know what I mean? Just If, just if they once. don't want a clear picture, you're not going to get a clear picture. Oh. I don't care if you have the best camera in the world. If they are warping space-time around, it, it's just going to get fuzzier and fuzzier until you won't see it. So literally the only way to, to take a good picture would be like in the Bob Lazar situation where it's just down on the ground. It's not activated. Yeah. Take the freaking picture because you're not going to get what's up there. High crystal clear where you can see the texture on the thing. You better just turn it off. Do you hear that government? We want we want an up-close tour. That's what we want, all of us. Let us touch the thing. Uh, smell was another thing that I keep asking people. Like, what did you smell? What did you smell? I'm getting a few things now, but the, inside the crafts, nobody remember the smell of the craft. Like, I don't, I don't remember. That's so weird to me because if you're a different entity, you would have a different smell. That, like you walk inside my office, you're going to smell my smoke, you know what I mean? And and the, the cologne, like you're going to smell that. You know that I was there, but in those crafts, there's nothing. No, your there. grandma's house smells different than your house. Oh, absolutely. It smells a lot better than mine. Tell the, the good cooking. Um, but no, it's, 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 it's always been interesting to me because it's part of our senses. And I know these entities, the description is that they don't have much of a nose or ears. And if you're telepathic, you probably don't need ears. You're, you're, all your information is just coming through cerebrally, so you don't need it. Um, you don't need to communicate. That makes sense. But the sense of smell not being developed is, is, is interesting. Well, let me throw this out at you. Bring it on. Almost all the craft that we see that we understand to be NHI, most of them seem colorless. They're either a version of silver, gray, black, except when you're talking about the plasma orbs and stuff like that. No neon. The actual, the nuts and bolts vehicles are all some version of gray. Right. How do we know that's just because of our limited visual range on the spectrum? Uh, good point. Good if point. you shift that down, maybe the aliens have like multicolored polka dot whatevers, but they only they see it and we just see, you know, one solid. That's true because we're limited on, on our species ability to that's, receive that's, information. That's true. That's a fascinating part about studying this subject is we have our own human bias and it's really difficult to get past it. One subject in a future book I want to study is going to be on the topic of psychological or forensic psychology. I'm going to sit down with several different profilers and see, let's examine the evidence 
of all these different cases and understand the psychology behind it. Yet the real challenge is how do we do that without anthropomorphizing it and making it a human point of view? That's hard, isn't it? Yeah. You could only write it from your species point of view, no matter how hard you try. That's a hard endeavor. Well, um, I've started, this is where maybe artificial intelligence might be able to help because they point. don't necessarily think the same way we do. But that's what I was thinking too with, uh, you bring up a good point, the artificial intelligence and how it's going to help us. I mean, uh, I think it was Project Unity had put a um, a redacted paper and asked the, the computer to, can you try to figure out what it is that was said? And it did a fantastic job where it's like, wow, it actually, that could be it. And that's what I think. It's like the government, well, I'm going to stop saying government. The government has nothing to do with this. The gatekeepers, the people keeping the secret. Right. That, that's a good word. Right. They're, they're not going to be able to keep up with the technology coming out as fast as it is and the way people are going to use that technology. Because maybe they didn't plan on like chat GPT being able to help ufologists uncover what certain redacted gov uh, government uh, papers said and people coming out of the woodworks now. And I mean, just the way that uh, even off my phone, I could do an entire investigation just off my phone. It's crazy. The technology we have now with apps and all that, but specifically with AI, it's, it's very interesting um, how we could even teach us how to maybe how we can communicate with something that's not human. Um, recently they had scientists talk to whale. I don't know if you read that article, but they had a 20 minute conversation with a whale using the frequencies of the whale. And it, they were talking back and forth and it's an experiment. And the AI worked as a translator. Yes. So the AI, they would oh. translate it back to the whale, what they wanted to say. And they kind of figured out what the whale was trying to mention. I don't know what it said, probably get out of here. You guys are bugging me, but um, it's a first step into us understanding how to talk maybe to an intelligent life differently than our concept of talking to us. We need oh. it to be audible. And, and you know that that's what we need but if you're cerebral your concept is is open a lot more than ours we, we're limited by speech they're not right you know uh one aspect of the subject that has also not been covered and we really don't have a way of covering it currently is if i could sit down with one of these nhi be they a gray a nord or whatever society I'd like to know what their version of artwork is. I wondered that myself. Because as a, a human species, we express so much through creativity and artwork, uh, through our music, uh, sculpture, uh, paintings, etc. It really speaks so much about who we are as human beings. Now, imagine if we were all psychic and we could all head telepathy how would that change our artwork the, the form of communication would drastically change so i would be so fascinated to study their form of art yeah and even with telepathy i mean if you have access to everybody's telepathy you have access to all their information that means that one artist makes everybody else an artist an engineer in the group makes everybody else an engineer in the group the species but, would but so much of art is trying to elicit feelings in others when we are not able to directly 
beam our thoughts. Well, it's the closest thing to telepathy that we can do, but it right. needs a format to get to the person. So music, you know, I could write as I could tell you that my girlfriend left me and you're not going to cry. But if I start singing a blue song, you know, and that really put the emotion behind it. Now you're feeling what I'm feeling. I right. just transferred my emotion over to you. Uh, same with the painting, like the, Oh, like if it invokes something in you, it's because it invoked to something in the artist, but you need that medium to transfer that over. What's really fascinating about these little gray dudes, supposedly they're able to just not only give you the visual, but give you right. the emotion that comes with it. So it hits you. It's like a layered thing that it's a lot more in depth than just getting visuals. You're getting the, the sense of fear. If it's a battle scene or the, uh, you know, a calmness, if they want you to feel calmness, like it, it's a manipulation of emotions, but I'm not wholly convinced that they feel emotions themselves. I think that might be unique to our species. It might be. Yeah. And it perhaps uh, some of these grays are actually androids or avatars from what I understand. Yeah. They yeah. seem very robotic in a way. Yeah. And even aboard ships, you never see anybody say that they've seen art. They'll see hieroglyphics of some kind or some sort of that, like, yeah. That aspect of it does make a lot of sense when you think about bacteria and viruses and the different gases in our atmosphere. You wouldn't expect to go to another planet and just open up the door and think you'd be perfectly fine. Yeah. So if you're going to visit other societies, maybe you're going to send a uh, an advocate in your place that isn't going to suffocate or get infected. Like an avatar, even that they could control from a distance. Like if there's a mothership right. out there, they could control the avatar so they could do the job themselves. Maybe they look so freaking out there that we can't process them. We die every time they take us. So they came up with little dudes that resemble us more to make it less jarring. Who knows? Right, right. But, less threatening because they're smaller. Exactly. But it's here's the thing is that we're now at a point in 2024 where People like you and I are, are, you know, we got motivated by that 2017 article. Uh, I remember when it first came out, I, I was at work. I went to MSN. I saw it. I was both like excited and pissed off at the same time. Pissed off that like we've been telling you guys this forever. And now the Navy's experiencing this. Uh, now they're under the freaking water for crying out loud. So at what point do we acknowledge it as a species? But like you mentioned, we have our biases. And unfortunately, because we are told from an early age, no, this is reality and this is not reality, uh, we lost maybe something crucial from when we were little to adults. I think what we beat that out of children. And yeah, I think we that's need to, to brush off all the debris that they've been shoveling on us, open our eyes up and realize that even though they said it was impossible, it's not yeah. true. Yeah, and a lie's a lie, right? A lie's a lie. At the end of the day, this this what this phenomenon is, is that we've been lied to, and they know they've been lying to us about this. Um, not only that, but like the military themselves, like the people within the military, Defense Department, their experiencers. Some of them are abductees. Some of them have close encounters. They're told to shut up, otherwise their career gets over uh, or, or, or destroyed. Um, the amount of people alone that have had close encounters, myself included is crazy and once they know that you're into ufos they're like hey dude come over here let me tell you what i saw they would never tell anybody else but they'll tell you right uh well i have i've yet to be that fortunate i haven't had any encounters myself 
Well, I've just mainly been fascinated by the physics and the science of the the possibilities. Well, you know what? It, uh, I always admire a man like yourself, Gary, because for me, I probably wouldn't be doing this if I hadn't had that experience. I had to, I think for me to get motivated to do what I do, I had to have that experience, but for you, you don't need that. And that's, I applaud that because I don't know that I would be working in this field if I was in your position. Like I probably would be a skeptic and be like everybody else out there, like convince me. Uh, so yeah, my hat's off to you, sir, because that means you think outside the box more than I do. And that's, that's a good thing. Um, Gary, creative wheel spinning. well, that's the thing. And it's really about like, even what you're doing now, like being on podcasts and talking to, to, to us, um, it's important. Everybody needs to do their thing. There's no Messiah of disclosure. It's everybody do your part, whatever that part is, whatever, for me, it's it's doing a podcast, researching abductions. Other people might be the physics, you know, writing books about them, like what you're doing. Everybody pitch in. Um, the amount of people we talked to, and we said, you know, what got you into UFOs? Well, I picked up a book in 19 blah, blah, blah. Or I picked up a book here. It's like, it's amazing what a book will do. Uh, it Again, it's telepathy. You're putting your thoughts and ideas into somebody else's mind. That's what right. art is. Uh, initially, for me, that's what art is. It's a form of telepathy. Um it's brilliant. The book, I loved it. It's UFO science, secret, new physics, vehicles, and UAPs. You're looking at uh, Gary, but you look under G.O. Turner. Uh, it is on Amazon, right? Yes. It's actually released wide, so you can get it on Barnes & Noble or Apple, Google Books, etc. Dude, that's solid. Congratulations. That's that's good to get at that point. Um, guys, these are really important to, to support our guests and the work that they do. Please feel free to reach out. Uh, if you can, Gary, where can people find you? Where can they reach out to you? Um, my author site is geoturnerwrites.com. Uh, at the moment, it, it's, it showcases a range of my uh, fantasy adventure novels, but it also touches on that UFO science book. It is the first in a series, and I'm going to continue working on future books. Hopefully, I'll have a, another one finished before the end of the year. Yeah. And whenever that's the case, you want to come on and promote it or talk to us about it, just hit me up. Okay. Um, I, if you don't have my phone number, I'll, I'll give it to you via email right after this. Okay. Uh, guys, thank you so much. Again, if you can go to uh, YouTube, like and subscribe. We do what we had to restart a YouTube channel, unfortunately, but we're trying to get it up to par of what it was before. It's not matching Spotify. Spotify, we're nearing like a million downloads and YouTube's looking like only 800 uh, subs right now. So we need we need those subs up if you guys can help us out. And uh, we'll be back again uh, next week with another fantastic interview. Gary, thank you so much, my man. That mustache rocked my world. And uh, yeah, it was awesome to talk with you. Your knowledge, you're very knowledgeable on the subject. Oh, I'm sure I'll catch you around somewhere in the verse. Awesome.